Hey, hey, it is Adrian Lawrence and welcome into another edition of TYT's The Conversation. This time I'm bringing you the CEO of Sentinel Security Solutions. He's also a former DHS advisor and former Secret Service Supervisory Special Agent, Mr. Chuck Moreno. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. Hi, Adrian, thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's under unfortunate circumstances as we're here to talk yes. about something that was really leading headlines last week. Uh, former Michigan State Dr. Larry Nasser, we had the Senate hearings and we really learned that unfortunate seems that the FBI dropped the ball here when it came to ensuring the safety for the young athletes that had been abused. And so from your vantage point, I guess, how did this resonate with you? Yeah, well, listen, you know, in my experience as a federal investigator, there's there's two types of investigations that always kind of raised your level of preparedness, if you will, where you knew you had to step it up. And those were cases of terrorism and cases involving children. Um, unfortunately, I think there's plenty of blame to go around here in terms of US gymnastics and, and the United States Olympic Committee, uh, all leading up to the FBI. So should this have been noticed sooner within uh, USA Olympics? Um, and obviously we know what the FBI uh, did wrong based on the DOJ Inspector General report. So you know the, the director of the FBI never wants to have to go in front of the American people and apologize for the FBI's shortcomings, especially as it relates to crimes against children. And unfortunately, people were held accountable in the FBI rather late. That does not solve what went wrong here. No, it doesn't solve it at all. And I know we got the apology from the FBI director, which is all good and well. But I think the reality of the things we're focused on is the fact that what the FBI had been made aware of the allegations against Nasser being a molester since at least 2015, yet nothing was done. So right. given your position, you have extensive experience, supervisory special agent, former Secret Service and whatnot. I guess, how do we prevent these kind of things from happening moving forward? Well, everything that you saw that went wrong within the FBI to include falsifying reports, false statements, not filing reports in the beginning at all, um, really questioning the, the overall integrity, uh, if you will, of the agency based on the actions of a few, which originated in the FBI's Indianapolis field office. And that's where this all started. You know, one thing with crimes involving children is they are often multi-jurisdictional by nature, especially if you add now the context of this investigation involving multiple people participating in an Olympic sport that lived throughout the country. And then you have a doctor that you know performed his functions in Michigan. So by its very nature, multi-jurisdictional, um, Indianapolis field office should have started a case, should have documented everything, um, and also should have had the political sensitivity to know that they should have paid extra attention to this case and made the notifications to the additional FBI field office as quickly as possible to get this investigation going. 
Absolutely, and it seems like it's something that um, not only sensitive because these are children we're talking about here and sex crimes, but also because these are children who represent the United States at the highest level. They are high profile children, they are faces that are highly recognizable as well as their performance and what they are doing to advance our nation and our profile. Here, it just really seemed that the sensitivity and the particular nature of all of the circumstances that it was really dropped. And so kind of, I guess maybe I'm just trying to fish for more and figuring out is this a lack of manpower or just a complete disregard for individuals who are victims of sex crimes? Well, I think in this example, you saw an absolute disregard for the accusations that were brought forth by the CEO of, of US Gymnastics. The, so, you know, you get these, these concerns that are brought forth. You hope that you're speaking to people that are going to, you know, assign some level of credibility to it initially and continue an investigation to find out what happened here. You know, one thing that troubles me, Adrian, is when we talk about, you know, this being a high profile case just based on who was involved, it always makes me think, so what's happening with regular people that are making these accusations and having these concerns? If if this type of a case is falling through the cracks, what's happening to the general public in these types of situations? Is it also happening to them? So we hope that we don't have a systemic problem regarding these cases at the federal, state and local levels. But you know, it's something that should be explored, and and I'm all for um, having participated in in the vast sensitivities that accompany these cases, giving these investigators, these agents, these local police officers as much training as possible. There's never enough in the area of child exploitation in terms of training that you can give to officers and investigators in terms of how to treat the victims and how to investigate these cases. And something also that kind of really hit me and resonated with me is the fact that we have Larry Nasser and he's attached to Michigan State, Richard Strauss, Ohio State, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, George Tyndall at USC, who was my gynecologist and doctor at USC. And so I was among their victim profiles. It just seems that these individuals who are abusing victims are doing so under the guise of these educational institutions where young people are supposed to be safe and it's supposed to be about higher learning and protection. Yet all of these individuals have been able to enjoy this sense of acting with impunity because there is a state at the end of their employer's name or university at the end of their employer's name. And so I guess, what do you see about potentially the government needing to get more involved in these universities? And in terms of ensuring that their doctors and the people that are working under their umbrellas are not sex offenders. No, you're right, and that's why I brought up earlier. You know, there there is some blame to go around here in terms of the organization themselves, right? The U.S. Olympic Committee and U.S. Gymnastics. How long did this go on, um, right underneath their noses? And so, you know, they've got to be aggressive in monitoring, uh, especially in sensitive positions like doctors, where athletes are are very vulnerable, and they have to make sure that these people in these positions 
are performing in, in accordance with the ethics that you would expect of a, of a doctor. And so there is tighter supervision required from these universities and organizations. They do have a duty of responsibility for their student athletes and their students in general to make sure that they are not being mistreated and abused. There is a responsibility here. Yes, uh, without question. And also the potential for the government to get involved. Uh, just being a lawyer, I would say that having uh, federal tuition aid and assistance means that the government can go in there and knock some heads around, you know, to ensure that these yeah. young people and children and individuals who are students are not being exploited and um, sexually violated. And it's sad that it feels yeah. like this is this should be like the lowest threshold. Yet it seems to be so high and so difficult for uh, institutions to actually take allegations seriously and to do something about individuals. But um, as you said, it, this is something that uh, it should never have happened indeed. And so um, given your expertise and what you do, Chuck, I guess what would you say is the best way to go about this uh, when it comes to future instances? Well, you see the Department of Justice Inspector General made a lot of specific uh, reform requests in terms of how the FBI investigates uh, and interacts with, with minors and, and their adult supervisors in terms of how they document these cases, how they investigate it, how they communicate it back to headquarters, um, and how they engage with the, the victims themselves. So again, it's more of an overall awareness that organizations and, and the government, the US government who bears responsibility for investigating these crimes, how they document and how they interact with these victims. And these cases require immediate follow-up. If they're receiving complaints of this nature, they have got to be followed up on immediately and pursued and determined from, from that point on where they go. But if somebody needs to be prosecuted, the case needs to be opened, uh, presented to the United States Attorney's Office, and someone needs to be prosecuted if the evidence is there. Absolutely, and I would still love to see a lot more of kind of accomplice prosecutions, just because there seems to be so many people along the pipeline who have, who know about these things and say You're absolutely right. nothing, and then they go on to you know join Congress. But we won't get into that. But in terms of looking at the huge, larger, bigger picture, where do you think that USA Gymnastics can go from here? I think you'll see a lot of reforms internally there. Obviously, those that belong to USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic Committee, they've lost a lot of credibility there. They've lost the confidence of athletes based on this case, that they're not gonna be there to make sure that their well-being is taken care of. So they have a lot of internal things that they need to work on to really just gain back the confidence of their athletes and the country. Yep. Without question. Thank you so much for joining us, Chuck. And can you tell people where they can find more, um, more information about you and the work you do as the CEO of Sentinel Security Solutions? I appreciate that, Adrian. They can visit our website at sentinel-security.us and I'll tell them about everything that we do in the security world in terms of mitigating threat and risk. Excellent. Thanks so much again for joining us today. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. Take care. 
It's Adrian Lawrence, this is The Conversation. And now I am joined by healthcare advocate and award-winning progressive digital new media communication strategist based in Denver, Colorado, Ms. Laura Packard. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. And as I understand, you founded the Healthcare Voices. What made you want to fund or found this organization? Well, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. And the day after my first chemotherapy appointment, Republicans in the US House voted to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, which was keeping me alive. So I took that kind of personally. <laughs> and I spent most of 2017 fighting Republican attacks on our health care while fighting cancer through chemotherapy and then radiation treatments. And after all that, the next year, I founded my nonprofit to organize adults with serious medical conditions to fight back. Yes, and that's such an incredible thing. And, I, and I'm glad that, um, that you are now healthy in remission and hopefully that will be the case forever. And I know that you want to put forward a different voice when it comes to the healthcare priorities we have, particularly when it comes to budget reconciliation. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, right now, too many times elected officials are listening to the people with the money, which is big insurance, big pharma, the people that stand to benefit from our broken healthcare system the way that it is. But it's time that we push back. And right now, Congress has the opportunity to make healthcare more available and more affordable than ever. The Build Back Budget plan that they're working on right now would lower the cost of prescription drugs would expand subsidies for Affordable Care Act insurance. It would expand Medicaid in the states that refuse to cover their low income people. So that's states like Florida and Texas and Georgia where too many people can't afford health care right now. And would strengthen Medicare to include vision and dental and hearing as well as provide more funding for home and community based services. So seniors and people with disabilities can live at home with dignity. Yes, and all of those things sound good. They also sound like they should just kind of be basic human rights um, you know, matters. But unfortunately, it seems that our capitalistic society and you know, so on and so forth. But I also know that earlier this week that the Democrats announced opposition to their party's plan to lower the cost of prescription drugs. And that is something that you definitely have a thought on. Yes, there are three Democrats in particular on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And those Democrats are Scott Peters of California, Kurt Schrader of Oregon, and Kathleen Rice of New York. They voted with Big Pharma instead of to lower the cost of prescription drugs, which is popular in 90% of the districts, so including theirs, which means Americans want lower drug prices. We pay more than any other country for our drugs, but these three decided not to listen to the people that time. Uh, that that's interesting. It makes you wonder um, what is their incentive, other than you know maybe big pharma making donations and contributions. Um, but hey, you know it seems that if we can spend what uh, eight trillion on a war, then we can spend some money on life-saving provisions for Americans. Uh, and so I guess what do you suggest that people do now in order to really get the attention of their leadership to make the changes that are necessary so that we can all take care of our own health? Well, this is not done. One committee in the House came to a tie on the drug provisions, but another committee moved them forward. So 
Things are still moving in the House and the Senate, and you should contact your senators and your representative today and tell them that you want them to vote for Build Back Better. And you want them to vote for the full package, $3.5 trillion, which includes everything that people need, like paid medical leave, childcare supports, and all the healthcare pieces that I talked about. So call your people, tell them to vote for this, and tell them to vote to lower the cost of prescription drugs to help pay for it. Yes, that sounds like a good plan. And people, I hope you hear that and please do it because these are things that we need, absolutely. And when it comes to healthcare and making change moving forward, what do you think is kind of flying below the radar, as in it's not necessarily getting the attention that it deserves? Well, just the other day, there was a hearing on SSI supplemental security income in the in Congress for the first time in decades. And this is the money that seniors and people with disabilities survive on. It's in addition to social security. And like I said, this hasn't been adjusted in decades. So it's way below the poverty line and it's forcing people with disabilities to live in extreme poverty. Because even if their parents or their family members or their friends buy them groceries, that counts against the limits, which are already way below the poverty line. So Congress has a chance to do something about that too in this reconciliation bill. And that's something I think that hasn't been talked about as much as some of the other provisions like, you know, insurance and lowering the cost of drugs and so on. And so if people want to get more information on this, where would you suggest that they go? Well, you could start by following me on Twitter at L Packard because I am talking about these issues daily and retweeting experts. So you can find out more there and also go to healthcarevoter.org. All right, that sounds like some good advice and place where people can get some insightful information. And also, as I understand it, the Arizona Democrat, Kristen Semina, that she told the White House that she's opposed to current prescription drug plans. Yes, Kirsten Cinema came out with an op-ed a few days ago that said that she was opposed to the current plans. And so it's on her to explain why she thinks that Arizonans should pay so much more than people in any other country for the drugs that they need. And also, if she's against that, how does she propose paying for all these healthcare pieces that we need? So in addition to it being intrinsically good to lower prescription drug prices, it's also part of how we pay for this package. So what's her plan? Yeah, it would be nice to know what she has planned. And I know I completely butchered her name in part because I really don't give a really care for her. But still, that was rude of me and I'll do better, maybe next time, we'll see. But it also seems that she um, she seems to creating this hurdle out there, but also really misleading people with misinformation campaigns and whatnot. And I think that that is a big issue today, particularly when it comes to people making decisions that are in their best interest. And so I guess, what do you think people should be aware of when it comes to getting the right and correct information or maybe deciphering when it comes to this healthcare conversation? 
Well, all of these elected officials, at least on the Democratic side, they ran on lowering the cost of prescription drugs and making healthcare more affordable. It's in all their campaign commercials, it was on all their websites. So now's the time for them to deliver. My expectations for Republicans are pretty low since so far they vote again and again against healthcare. But you would think that Democrats at least would do a better job on this. Yeah, because it definitely seems like the Democrats are not necessarily doing what they need to do, especially being in positions of actually having the majority arguably in power and whatnot. But the reality is people are dying and especially in a pandemic, it seems that we really should be focusing on elevating healthcare and seeing how valuable and important it is. And so when it comes to, I guess, being able to maybe just on a broader scale have a better future and moving forward in addition to contacting members of Congress and urging them. Is there anything else people can do to take the power into their own hands? If your elected representatives have town halls, you should go to them, whether they're virtual or in person, so that they hear from you. If you have a story and you're willing to share it, you should share that story on social media or maybe write a letter to your local paper and talk about these issues with your friends and families. Because too often people vote for politicians that do not have your best interests in mind, and people need to know that. Yes, and it seems that also these, as you mentioned, the politicians who run on a platform of saying, I'm going to lower prescription drugs and I'm going to advance efforts for your healthcare and how they essentially get into office and they make changes. It doesn't seem to be in our best interest. And as you mentioned, for us to be paying the most money out of developed countries, it definitely seems like we are on the losing end of a lot of this, and this is very scary. And so I guess in terms of moving forward and your organization, can you talk a little bit about what Healthcare Voices, what you all have on your docket next? Sure, well, Healthcare Voices, we do a lot of storyteller trainings to help people share their personal stories. So our website, healthcarevoices.org, has several of our trainings, like how to do a letter to the editor, how to share your story publicly. So go to our website and use some of our past trainings to help advocate for yourself and for healthcare. That's really, really important because it's true in terms of learning how to be a storyteller and you know to be concise yet also be impactful and to communicate and get your information out there. That is such a powerful thing. And so can you remind everybody what your website is so they know where they can go to get the information? Sure, go to healthcarevoices.org slash learn. Fantastic, I really love that because I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate essentially the power of having a concise, really impactful message that is persuasive, influential. It hits that ethos, pathos, logos, and hopefully can advance and make change. And so I love the fact that Healthcare Voices really focuses on that. And I really thank you so much for joining us today, Laura Packard, healthcare advocate and award-winning progressive digital new media and communication strategist. And can you tell everybody again where they can find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at L Packard and I also have Facebook page and Instagram accounts. Great, are those at L Packard as well? Laura Packard, activist for both. Fantastic, thank you so much for joining us again, Laura. We really appreciate it. Thank you.